Welcome to the Breakdown Podcast, breaking down the issues in cycling, with Jamie Finch-Penninger, journalist covering Australian cycling, and Hamish Gorman, exercise physiologist, cycling coach with FTP Training, and founder of Sydney Cycling Coaching. Welcome to the Breakdown Podcast, and we've got Coach's Corner for you today with Hamish Gorman joining us by remote connection. Hamish, say good day. Hi guys, happy 2016. Yes, I'll I'll join Hamish in wishing you a happy new year, and hope hopefully it's gone as well for you as it has for me. I've been enjoying myself down at the Bay Criteriums, uh, doing a lot of interviewing with notable figures in Australian cycling. So, for instance, Rochelle Gilmore, I talked to Matt Wilson, obviously significant team directors and managers and owners in in Rochelle's case. And I've just been having a ball watching the watching the riders go around in the Bay Criteriums, having a, having a great time down here. Uh, Hamish, what have you been up to for the past week or so? I had four days down in Jindabyne, mountain biking and bushwalking over the new year, which was great. So just enjoying a bit of a holiday and also just a little bit of prep for a few athletes heading into nationals next weekend. Of course, uh, I caught up with you over New Year's because I was heading down to Melbourne from Sydney, which is a drive that I would not like to repeat again, but you do what you have to to, to get where you need to. So Nationals, how, how are your athletes looking on the on the trip in? Oh, tracking, tracking pretty well for the most part. It's always a tough time of year to get a really good gauge on the competition, I think, partly because there hasn't been a whole lot of racing over the last few weeks and if people aren't racing the criteriums, then then judging the competition can be hard. But all you've got to go on is your own athletes and their performance and, and the numbers that they're producing. But, yeah, pretty happy with them for the most part. Yeah, I know you've got an under-23 rider on your – a male under-23 rider on your books. And I can tell you that Miles Scotson looked absolutely superb today. So he's going to be really hard to knock off in the road race. He almost held off the entire field by himself. Mm, yeah, yeah. Look, I think – I think you'd be right in saying that the competition is going to be pretty hot all round, don't you think? Certainly, but this isn't the racing podcast. This is all about coaching. So we'll leave, <laughs> we'll leave that one for another day and another discussion. Okay, now on to Zero Two Hero. And welcome back for Zero to Hero, where I become a, a semi-cyclist, I think we decided, Hamish. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we took the pro out of it, and I think we were going with semi-cyclists. I think it really sums up the the goal of it in some ways, but I think more than that, probably selling yourself a little bit short. Well, certainly not yet. I, I, haven't, I haven't got the ability to sell myself short yet, but that's what this is all about, <laughs> you know, getting better. I must say my riding level hasn't been great in terms of volume, mostly because I was sick before Christmas and I did a few few rides. And then I did, I did enjoy my riding around the Christmas block. I was up in Port Stephens and it was lovely weather. So I was very happy to get out and about on the bike and I did rack up about 80 Ks over, over a few rides. So that was, that was gratifying and it felt, it felt great to get out there and, Put the, put the power down on the flat. Yeah, did it feel all... good being in, in a different area? 
Yeah, well, it was good to see all the tourists on their bikes, you know, that they're hired from the local bike shop and you just go tearing past them and they're like, whoa, what's that? And <laughs> so that was fun. But I suppose uh, I'm knocking over straw men there by beating, you know, middle-aged tourists who are just, oh, I don't know, taking it easy as they're on holiday. Talk me through subjectively. Like, how, how have you been feeling with the riding? Do you feel like you're heading in the right direction? Well, I remember the first uh, few rides, I felt that I could never do this and I would never amount to anything. So why even bother? But it's amazing. Once you get over, once you get over the particular hump or, or the particular climb in a lot of cases, which you're on, how much your mental state clears up and you can see beyond the, the immediate pain that you're putting yourself through to, to a finish line or to a goal. And I mean, obviously, that's a mental a mental hurdle that you need to come up overcome. Yeah, and I think what what happens as well is you get used to the effort recovery cycle that happens in the riding. And I think early on, when people are just doing either their first couple of rides back after a big gap off, or when they're first new to cycling, then they put in this effort when they ride up a hill and they go, oh, I'm buggered, I'm done, I can't ride any further and they stop and, and, and that's the end of it. And you kind of have this one effort and then there's no real recovery time and, and the ride kind of finishes. Whereas as people kind of get used to that, you get this effort and then they give themselves a chance to recover. And in that recovery time is almost this enjoyable period and then you effort again and you recover again. And and so you've kind of built this, what I like to refer as a, refer to as an effort recovery cycle occurring. The more you ride, the more you realise that you can repeat that and keep riding and not have to just stop or not have to cut the ride short. And so a part of that is physical and, and your body adapting, but I think a big part of that is mental and realising that you can just effort recovery and continue continue moving and not have to just stop and finish the ride. Does that make sense? Yeah, very much so. I often say, you know, just keep on going. I say to myself whilst I'm riding, just keep on going and eventually you'll get to the point where you can take a bit of a breather and then and then push on some more. You you just don't want to stop because I feel that when you when you pull over and stop, that that's very much end of your ride because you're in a mental state where you've already finished. Yeah, yeah, definitely, especially on those shorter rides as well. I mean, on a longer ride, you can you can kind of do yourself into that, having a break and getting back into it. But on those shorter rides, then anything under a couple of hours, if you if you kind of stop, then a lot of the time that ends up being being the end of it. I think the other thing is as well is the the more you improve your fitness, the bigger range you give yourself to kind of ride within so you have this really big gap between a slow recovery pace and an all-out effort and the fitter you become the bigger that kind of gap becomes so everyone's slow recovery pace or slow riding is say at the same pace and but the harder your your efforts can become the more you can operate in this kind of what would be typically like a zone one, zone two speed. So it's like being able to hold a conversation and the bigger like the kind of expanse is or the effort level is that you can kind of maintain that conversation, 
the more you can kind of go up and down hills and around corners and through traffic and, and just keep maintaining that pace without having to like really push yourself. And I think what that then allows you to do is, is maintain comfort while you're riding for longer and obviously maintain that endurance for longer. And, and when people talk about building a base fitness level, that's generally what they're referring to. There's been a lot of talk about that at the racing, obviously, because a lot of riders are coming off that volume period, as we've talked about in the season planning episodes, and they're look and the bay crits are essentially where they add in the, the intensity that they're looking for. Yeah, and it'd be interesting for some of those some of those riders because I mean the the timing of adding the intensity is the really interesting thing, depending on what their goals are. But if if they're targeting nationals, then I mean obviously Bay Crits is adding a huge amount of intensity, but it's quite late in the program. Well, yes. Um I think we're getting a bit off topic. <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about me, Hamish. <laughs> Come on. It's all about me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so, definitely a little bit off topic, but, but it's, in a, it's interesting because it's about it's about adding those different elements to the program and, and when they occur and why they occur. And, and look, I think to kind of bring it back around on topic, I think for you, the feeling that you should be getting or that you will be getting is that you can ride for longer and you can kind of vary this intensity more and put that effort into place, but still then drop back to a lower intensity and, and have an active recovery on the bike. And, and once you can get to the point where you can actively recover on the bike and then do an effort, then, then that's the time where you can start building intensity into it. But if you're at the point where you can't actively recover on the bike, then you can't really, it's very hard to add intensity into a program because all that's happen, going to happen is we're going to flatten you too quickly and you're going to want to finish. Yeah, I guess this is something that is going to be down the road, but it's it's useful to know what sort of thing I should be looking to, you know, achieve um, at the end at the end of yeah. this. Yeah, but I, look, it's, it's at the end of it, but it's also right now because it, it's about thinking about, when you go up a hill or when you add a bit of a turn of speed, so to speak, to overtake someone, it's about understanding the, the kind of the cost of that in the, in, as a subjective feeling. Or how does that effort make you feel? And how long do you feel like it takes you to recover from that effort? Now, with power meters and a whole bunch of different technology, you can start to quantify that. But it's really important to get a feeling of that. So if I do a two-minute effort up a hard hill, well, does it take me two minutes to recover from that or does it take me 10 minutes to recover from that? And what you should notice is that is as your fitness improves, that recovery rate significantly improves as well. All very interesting stuff. And I'm sure, I'm sure we'll... I'll be looking to cover it in increasingly more increasingly more detail as we go on. Let's move on to what I should be what I should be doing over the coming weeks. I'll be on the road. I'm based in Geelong at the moment, and over the next few days, it's going to be pretty hairy as I travel up to Ballarat to do all the reporting from there. But I will. I'm going to try and get out really early in the morning and get some get some k's in the legs what should i be aiming to do over this next uh, few weeks well i think yeah you're obviously in an interesting time period for yourself 
because of the travel and I mean hopefully you're going to have a lot of excitement around riding because you're following the different races and you're going to be there and have a good feeling so I should expect the motivation for riding is going to be quite high which is fantastic obviously you've got to be working and you're going to be working quite late doing a lot of riding and interviews and so you're not going to have a whole heap of time so I think probably those early mornings are going to be best before the racing starts except for a couple of the days planning ahead is going to be really important so that you know what days you're going to be completely out so that you can try and ride kind of the day before so you can plan your rest and recovery days so obviously days like the, the national days is going to be difficult to fit the ride in so get out the day before make sure that you you kind of having a bit of soreness in the legs on those days off so that you're you're making the most of that time and then looking to build the time frame in these rides what would be great if, if we could get a couple of your rides up around the two hour mark i'd be pretty stoked well yeah the problem is you know as you mentioned time it's going to be a bit tough to do a two hour ride can you replace the time with the intensity or is it isn't that well, a smart well, I, option? I, I definitely think Look, it's a really interesting one there and it's going to be a bit of a, a flow for you. Let's talk training load instead of training volume. So training load is both volume and intensity combined. So that's when people refer as a training stress score. So the training, the training load is what we need in your legs, okay? And if we're going to have to reduce the volume due to time constraints, then to maintain some load, we've got to increase that intensity. So there's no point doing a short, easy ride all the time because you're not going to get any of that load. So it's got to be either longer and easier or shorter and harder. So if we're having to reduce the volume, then yeah, definitely we've got to push a bit harder on these rides. And and because for you, we're not, we're not into the stage of a, a distinct periodized program at the moment, we're still kind of building you through this busy period, then that's the easiest way for us to go with that is, is just to kind of simply go, okay, if you're going to go out for that hour and that's how long you've got, then really try and push hard from hard in that hour and get some kind of load in the legs, so to speak. But this is a very much situational thing to me. It's not necessarily what you would advise for another client in different circumstances. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's it's always a tricky balance depending on client, I use client slash athlete availability slash expectations, and that varies markedly. So I work with people that go from anywhere. Some people are twenty-five to thirty-hour week down to the, the shortest time period I really work with people with is a six-hour week on the bike, five to six-hour week. And the expectations of performance are obviously very different, but everyone wants to try and improve with the time that they've got available. So, so managing those riders and managing the, the type of training that they do is very different. But as a general rule, as your training time decreases, your intensity has to increase. So the more time you've got available, the more easy riding you can do. The less time you've got available, the harder your efforts have to be. It sounds like a you know, rule of thumb that's, that's gonna be very useful in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can use it across the board with almost any, any athlete across any discipline is 
the more you do, the, the more kind of time you've got to spend on different things. If you've just got a small amount of time, well, you've got to go bloody hard, otherwise you're not going to get improvement. So it's as simple as that. Okay, and that should just about wrap it up for Zero to Hero. I'll, I'll certainly put that into practice. And now we're going to Coach's Corner, where we do the second half of Hamish's look at season planning. And we're now, and that should wrap it up for part two of the, and that should wrap it up for part two of season planning, where Hamish Gorman and I look at periodization. Okay, and we're moving on now into well another aspect of the of the season schedule planning. It's periodization. Hamish, take us through this. Okay, today what I want to do with periodization is just give a simple overview. And basically what it involves is it's breaking up the season into manageable manageable chunks that relate to specific physiological fitness variables that we are trying to manipulate throughout the season to achieve your goal. So we're essentially looking at the type of efforts that you need to be doing on the bike and how to how to build up to them in your season. Yeah, definitely. And we've already mentioned a few of those terms like base miles and and peaking or the race period. What we need to do or or what is typically done from a periodization perspective is look at those strengths and weaknesses of the certain rider and the race schedule and to take that into account to try and set some time frames to achieve certain objectives along the way so that we know whether we're on form or not and we know whether we're going to achieve our goal or give ourselves the best chance of achieving the goal as we move forward. I suppose this will be most most useful for younger athletes as well because the older athletes, I mean, they have a sense of where they're supposed to be at any stage of the season and they know if they're off target or on target. Yeah, definitely. The, the more times you've done something, the, the better the awareness is going to be from a rider. So if you're setting a goal that you've never done before or, or doing an event you've never done before, then setting those goals and setting those objectives throughout the season can be quite hard. So by breaking the season down into these chunks that we typically refer to as mesocycles allows us to control that and progress throughout a season. How long would your average mesocycle be then? So a mesocycle typically refers to a time period of about a month. And then what we're doing is we're stringing these mesocycles together. Now, cycling and periodization in general has a few different terms that it, it uses. And they kind of refer to the type of mesocycle that we're implementing. So these terms are base, build, peak, race, and transition periods. Okay, so the base period, I'll say from my limited knowledge, you'll take us into more detail, is those kilometres that you do at the start of the season, maybe in a team training camp and definitely by yourself as well, where you're building up that that level of endurance training so you can fall back on that later in the year as, you know, as it's in your legs. No, that's It's actually not a bad way to word it. I mean, there's a few terms that we might use from a coaching perspective or a physiological perspective that that might fill fill that out a bit better. And basically what we're doing with the base phase is it comes off the back of an off-season or transition period where a rider generally hasn't been riding very much and they might have let a little bit of their fitness go. 
So what we're trying to do is get the rider back up to speed and build some volume back into their legs. And traditionally, this has been done from larger miles. So people sometimes refer to the term of getting a thousand miles into their legs pre-season. Now, more recently, this has kind of changed a little bit and, and been viewed as a period for which cyclists can start improving their efficiency on the bike because this takes a long t- period of time to propagate or to come forth. They also use it now as a time to implement strength training as well as build that base aerobic fitness or work capacity is another term used for that. So depending on the time frame available for cyclists, they'll generally string together like one, two or three base periods on top of each other. So that might be one, two or three months to to really build a proper base and to incorporate those other variables that we talked about. I suppose this is uh, the easiest part of the season for the Australian cyclists who go across to Europe because it's the nicest cycling weather and they can just get out and uh, have, have a bit of fun whilst they're doing their base load hours. Yeah, typically and because the intensity is generally not there or as high as it would be in other times of year. It allows it to be a bit more social as well. So it does allow people to kind of go out with a mate and and spend some time on the bike or a a day on the bike and to go see some pretty cool places within Australia or other parts of the world as well. So, yeah, look, it can be a good time, but if you want to make the most of your base period, then you should be thinking not just about slow, easy Ks, but the things that you want to do, the general things that you need to do to achieve your goal so i'd typically look to improving efficiency and implementing strength training as two that are that are quite often missed poor old cyclists the coaches never stop trying to squeeze every little bit more out of you okay so what's up next after a base period we generally move into what we refer to as a build period and this is characterized by the introduction and increased focus on intensity within the program and depending on the a race goal this will include lots of different effort efforts at and above threshold and really building into those high intensity vo2 max efforts as well so this is looking to bring a bit more specificity into the training as you get closer and closer when we kind of look back at those golden rules this really sits into rule number one Training should move from general to specific as the event draws closer. And because we've already looked at our race demands and we know what the course entails and we know what we've got to be, where we've got to be, then we're starting to build some of this into the training. Now, this could entail a 20K long endurance climb that averages 6 or 7%, or it could be a three-minute effort that means you crest the hill at the front of the pack and really give yourself a good opportunity. So with the build period, this will generally involve a slight decrease or maintenance in total volume of training from the base period, but we'll steadily see an increase in intensity throughout these periods. Again, it can be characterized by one, two or three build months being laid over the top of each other, depending on the time frame available before the peak goal. Do you often see a bit of racing in this point of the calendar just to get yourself doing those sort of um, race level efforts at that time? Yeah, definitely. Racing is a great way to maintain some intensity throughout the program. 
And for riders who are still learning to race, so if we go back to the younger guys, then it can be a great way for them to address some of their limiting factors, which might not be physiologically limited, but more mentally limited or tactically limited. So we've got to start looking at addressing those other factors. So racing throughout the base period, oh, racing throughout the build period, sorry, is very important, but you're not necessarily expecting your best results. No, I think most people would say the early season in the, well, at least in the pro pro ranks is often a bit of a write-off for some riders. I mean, they'll take a result or two here or there, but they're not looking to be dominant like they would later in the season. Yeah, definitely. And for the bigger names that they're going to have their goals set, situated most of the time later in the season, whereas some of the younger guys might kind of target that earlier season and allow themselves to, to pick off a race or two that later in the season might be quite hard to win. I think, uh, especially when you look at the cobbles season, because it's all building up to Paris-Roubaix and Tour of Flanders, but those those middle races, normally you get like one of the Set Van Marks or Tom Boone and winning one of them, but apart from that, the results are shared around. So we saw the likes of Grant Thomas, Ian Stannard, uh, Yale Valets winning last year, and I think that reflects that reality that you can't be peaking for every point during uh, every point during the season guys have to pick and choose the races that they both that they want to race but also that they want to win with care and if you don't do that properly you leave really leave yourself vulnerable to not achieving anything you want to spread yourself around some races so that you make sure you're in good form but you don't want to spread yourself too thin that you leave yourself vulnerable to overtraining or to not being focused on those a races Okay, so we'll move on to the peaking portion of the season. What do you got to say about the peak? I mean, I suppose it's all fairly self-explanatory to an extent. Yeah, so the peaking period can quite... I quite often mix this up into a, a, a bit of a ball of three different periods, and it depends on the time frame or the racing goals. So we've got the peaking period. Within that, we've also got a tapering period, which is generally a couple of weeks and contributes to us getting to a peak. And then we're also talking this through the combination of, of a racing period, which generally encompasses or might encompass a couple of little peaks. So a racing period for a, a domestic rider might be a month long and involve two or three races that we want to kind of get some little peaks to and then a, and a major A race peak. And by encompassing those three together, then we we really start to see it as a whole and and that probably is more realistic whereas if someone's just a a one peak season so they've got one race that they really want to perform the best so let's go back to kind of Chris Froome being the example and the Tour de France stuff then there'll be this generalized peak period that comes in the lead up to that race where he'll be tapering in some form now the form that that taper takes varies significantly depending on the race. So we won't get into that too much. But basically, it's this lead-up period prior to when the race starts. And it generally lasts two or three weeks and involves a decrease in volume and maintaining intensity. So you've set yourself a level at the previous level of training. Does the taper go down from there and then allow you to maintain that that level for longer? Or does it actually take you a bit higher in the in the level of training, well, in the level of effort that you're about, that you can do at that stage. Yeah. So basically, if you think about it, is 
the period that precedes the peak, so the build period, is a really heavy training block. It's got a lot of intensity built into it. So it's going to carry, our body's going to carry a lot of fatigue into this peak period or this tapering period. And so what that, that's about then is, is realizing that form that you've built up during that build period. And so it generally involves a couple of weeks of reduced volume that allows us to recover. Okay, so it's a planned period of recovery that allows us to push our results higher than they were at that end of that build period. The term that this kind of refers to is almost a bodybuilding term or a strength training term called supercompensation. And it involves the, the body getting hit with a big stimulus, having a period of recovery, and then pushing forward past that. And that is what allows the guys to be in peak form for a race. Now, a grand tour and peaking or tapering for a grand tour is much different than peaking and tapering for a shorter one-day classic and because it involves being in good form for a prolonged period of time rather than just one day. So, yeah, it can be quite different. Okay, thanks, Hamish. And this was Coach's Corner, I think, for this week. Uh, if you want to read further, put the show notes on breakdownpodcast.weebly.com and we'll have links up to all relevant information and a transcript of what we've been going through on the show. And now onto the question box of this week. Okay, we're back with the question box and we have a few questions. Uh, one from James C. Jordan on our SoundCloud file, which Whilst it wasn't an advertised method of getting in contact with us, you know, why the hell not? It's not like we're getting swamped with questions at the moment. And uh, James C. Jordan says, why SoundCloud? You can't download, which means it kills your mobile download. Uh, Drops out every time another app makes a noise. And now the website keeps crashing when I try and post a comment. Well, James, I think those are all valid concerns. (laughs) I I will say... I will say that I have I have changed the download issue. That was it. That was on the options at my end. I've put the download option on there, so you should be able to download it from now on. And um, as to your other concerns about dropping out when an app makes a noise and the website keeps crashing, I, I will look into whether there is a better hoster out there. Once I'm with nationals and the summer of racing. At the moment, I can't really spend the time to to make that you know full analysis that you need to to make that call and switching it over. But I will definitely look into that once we once I get a bit more stable. Hamish, have you, have you got a question? Yeah, we did. I had a question come through from a client this week that I thought might be a good one for us, and the question was about the difference between lactate threshold and functional threshold power. Perhaps you're you're the one to explain it, I think. Yeah, so basically the easiest way to think about lactate threshold and functional threshold power is that they are essentially trying to measure the same thing, but the names come about from the method used to measure the threshold, if that makes sense. So the threshold, in inverted commas, is the transition between a medium effort and a hard effort 
or the transition between predominantly aerobic energy system and an ever increasing amount of anaerobic energy contribution. So when someone refers to a lactate threshold, then the scientific community would look at that as you have actually measured a blood lactate concentration. Now this is done much the same way as a, a diabetic measures their blood glucose. So it's a small pinprick and then goes onto a strip and then goes into a lactate analyzer. Now, if someone refers to a lactate threshold, then it has to have been measured via blood lactate. If someone refers to a functional threshold power or a functional threshold heart rate, then that's a method that was first developed by Dr. Andy Kogan. And it's about trying to measure this same energy sh system shift, but through a field test. And that's traditionally been viewed as a 60 minute, is the power that you can maintain for 60 minutes. And that's often used um, as a shorthand when you're talking about, about um, what level you're at at the moment in your training and what sort of um, numbers you put out. Yeah, de yeah, definitely. And so what's been, as a follow-on from that 60-minute power, what they developed was a 20-minute test. And that's, the 20-minute test was devised because of the training load and the difficulty of getting a good, true 60-minute power output. So by giving an athlete a 20-minute test and then taking 95% of the power that someone can maintain for 20 minutes, they're able to reliably predict the 60-minute power output for a cyclist. So obviously that's a prediction, but it's been a well-adopted prediction now. That So to, to measure an FTP, the most common testing method is a 20-minute time trial effort and then taking 95% of that power output. Whereas the blood lactate threshold is that specific scientific um, test that you mentioned. Yes, specific scientific test, and it's actually usually done on a more of a stepwise protocol. So every three to five minutes, the power output that the cyclist is holding increases, and then you hold it steady for three to five minutes, and then you increase it again. Steady for three to five minutes, increase again. And at each one of those steps, you're taking this blood lactate measurement and producing a curve. And from that curve, we're able to determine a, a lactate threshold. And that lactate threshold is that transition in energy systems. Okay. Well, hopefully that answered your, your client's question. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so anyway. So, so yeah, look, if people are confused about that or, or want more information, then feel free to give us a buzz. Yeah. And we'll include some information on the show notes as well. Okay. Well, that should just about wrap it up for this episode. Um, we hope that you've enjoyed it. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can contact us on the Breakdown Podcast on Facebook or you can tweet us at Breakdown Pod. If you want to ask us a question like we just answered there for a few of our dedicated listeners, uh, you can do so via Twitter where you hashtag AskBreakdown. At the moment, it's only my tweet on there, canvassing for questions, so give it some company. Also, for Instagram, to follow my journey from zero to hero, you can 
do so by following Breakdown Zero to Hero and give us a, all the stars that you can afford on iTunes and rate and subscribe because that makes it you know a lot easier for other people to find us. So that's good it. Luck, for... Good luck in nationals to everyone out there. And yeah, I'll second that. Though obviously only one person can win. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, goodbye. It's, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Hamish. Good night, guys. And we'll see you around. Cheers. Bye.